Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. Good morning, church. Pastor, is that what I am? It's today, I guess. Uh, for the moment. <laughs> for the moment. Um, so good to see you guys here this morning. I, I just wanted to, uh, I just want to do this this morning. I know it's a little awkward, but if you're in your 20s, I want you to stand up. In our hearts? No, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you're in your 20s, I want, I, want, I, want, I want you to stand up. If you're in your 20s. If you're not sure, ask your mom. Are you in your 20s? Stand up. Anybody else? Okay. If you're, if you're a teenager, I want you to stand up because this is for you too. The world has told you you don't matter. There's people that come against you. And they say that you're not going to make a difference. But I want you to know that the Lord has appointed you for this moment and this time. That this Gen Z generation is going to rise up and they're going to experience things that we never experienced. They're going to do things for the Lord that we never thought possible. God has placed you here for this moment and this reason and this purpose. I want you to look yourself in the mirror and I want you to tell yourself that you are chosen by God, that he has placed his spirit in you, that you are powerful for his kingdom, that the enemy shudders when he sees you walking down the road, that God is going to do amazing things through you. And so I just want to pray for you. Father, God, I pray for these people. I pray for this, this Gen Z generation. God, I even pray for the millennial generation. God, I pray that you would raise them up. God, that you would set them in a place of authority that we've never seen before. God, that you would use them in a way that we've never experienced. God, that you would call them to a higher place. God, that you would undo all the things that the evil generation has done. God, that you would put a purity in their heart. God, a strength in their backbone. God, let them see the truth and preach the truth and, and speak the truth, God. Let them be a truth-seeking generation, God, that sees the truth, that does not believe the lies of the enemy, God, that they can stand strong against the, the wave of the lies of the generations before them that tell them this is the way. But God, let them follow you and you alone. Father, we thank you for this generation. God, we thank you for these students. We thank you for these young people, God. You love them. You see them. You have purpose in their hearts. God, every beat of their heart is full of purpose. And God, I pray that you would raise them up, God, and don't let them sit passive and watch the world go by. But God, let them engage in the world that you've put them in. God, let them make a difference. Let them see the truth. 
Let them be bringers of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How do I go from there? All right. There is an enemy. And he is after the heart of this generation. He's after the church. He's after our nation. He's after the world. There is a battle going on, a spiritual battle that we don't like to talk about a lot of times, that we don't like to even enter into because, you know, it gets, it gets weird and we don't understand it. But I've lived long enough on this earth and I've followed Jesus long enough to know that there is an enemy and that his tactics are the same over and over, and yet we keep falling for him over and over. His tactics are distraction for the believer, deception for the unbeliever. And believer, I want you to know that we get so distracted by the enemy because we often only see what he's doing and we fail to see what God's doing. Because the things that he's doing bring pain. I, I understand that they're, they're so in your face and the things that God does, it seems to always be on the underlying, right? Until he surprises us by what he's doing. And, and the enemy is like a snake. <laughs> That's why scripture kind of describes him as a serpent. He sneaks around, right? He, he, he lies under, he hides in camouflage, and he waits for the perfect opportunity to strike. But believer, I want you to know that when he strikes, you have authority over it. That you don't have to, you don't have to give in to his ways. You don't have to settle in and let him inject his venom into your life and suck the life out of you. You have authority as a believer. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able... To do, this is God, so to him, to God, who is able to do far more abundantly than we may ask or think according to the power within, who? There's power in us. According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Believer, you have a power, you have an authority over the principalities and powers of this world. God has put believers in this place to make a difference. And I'm telling you, so often we fail to make a difference because we're only seeing what the enemy does in our life. We, we are settled in on what he's doing, and we don't allow God to get the glory. Unfortunately, we give the devil more glory because we're always talking about what he's doing in our lives. We're always talking about what he's destroying in our lives. I talk to people all the time, and I'm like, what's going on with you? Well, the devil's just working me over overtime this week. He's just having his way with me. If you're a believer, there's, that, that shouldn't happen. He doesn't just have his way with you. You allow him to have his way with you because you don't understand the authority that you have and has been given to you through Jesus Christ. And so many of us just allow the snake to bite on and latch on and stay on, and we don't ever remove him because we don't know how. And today I want to share with you how to undo the works of the enemy and to remove him from your life and from the things of your life. And so we're going to look at Acts 20, 28, verse 1 through 6. We're also going to be in James chapter 4 today, so you can turn to those two passages of Scripture. And we're talking about undoing the works of the enemy, because like I said, he's a snake and he sneaks in and he's there and you don't realize he's there until it's too late. I remember one year, uh, back when Justin was little, 
We drove in, we drove home, we drove up in the parking lot. We didn't, we live in town, so we don't think about snakes. And he gets out, and right next to him is this copperhead, you know, just swirled up, being chilling, not paying, you know, not bothering anybody. He steps out, like right next to it. And he walks out, and then he notices it. That could have bit him like that. I mean, it was close enough to, to strike, but it didn't. And <laughs> And I was terrified as a dad because I'm like, man, that thing could have bit my son, would have been in the hospital. I don't know what happened. It could have killed him. I don't know. And so I go into my garage and I find the closest thing you can find to kill this thing is a nine iron. You know, hey, <laughs> you know, I can't play golf worth a darn, but I can kill a snake with a nine iron. So I went out and beat that thing to death, picked it up, threw it in the trash can. I'm like, don't you ever come. You know, I wanted to like stake it in my yard like any other snakes. This is what's going to happen to you. I hate snakes. <laughs> but that's how, that's how the enemy works. He just kind of sneaks around, he curls, and you don't even see him until you're so close to him that he bites. You don't even see what he's doing until sometimes after the fact that you've already been snake-bitten, and now you're dealing with the consequences. He's sneaky like that. But we don't have to give in to it. We, have, we can see him for what he's doing, and we can see what the works that he's doing. So I want to read this passage for, to you. It talks about a snake bite, really, from Paul gets bit on this island in Malta. And we're going to look at this passage, and we're going to break it down, and we're going to see a little bit of what, how, the, how this kind of reflects the kingdom of God. Okay? So I know for some of the theologians, you're probably mad at me because I'm not exegeting this properly, but I, I want you to use this as an example, as a parable of what God, how the kingdom of God works. And so Acts 28, 1 through 6. So once we were safe on the shore, remember last, last week we talked about Paul, the shipwreck, and he swam to the, now he's swimming to the island. They're all swimming to the island, all, all these people. And once we were safe on shore, so they're safe, they're good, right? And we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. And the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and it was unharmed. And he was unharmed. And the people waited for him to swell up and suddenly die. Drop dead. You know, the spectators. <laughs> but when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was God. People. <laughs> they love you one second, they hate you the next. So what can we learn from the story? Well, I want to look at Paul's life in, in just a whole array of, of who Paul was and how he lived his life. And we, we could see that this little story is really a reflection of his whole life following Jesus. I mean, these things happen to him all the time. He was stoned. He was thrown out in a town. You know, they, he was beaten. He was tried, they tried to kill him several times. But yet Paul overcame time and time again. Every time the enemy would come in and try to stop him, he would, be, he would overcome it every single time. So how did Paul do this? How did Paul shake off the work of the enemy? Because here's the thing. The snake bites onto us sometimes. And like I said a minute ago, all we do is pay attention to what the snake is doing, and we don't pay attention to what God's doing. And we're like this, oh, I'm bit by a snake. This thing's attached to me. I don't know how to get rid of it. And then you see people, it's like, hey, man, how's it going? Oh, it's, it's good. Well, it looks like something's attached to your hand there. 
Oh, yeah, that's, that's Satan. He's just, he's having his way. He's just, he's, he's on me. I can't get him off. I don't know what to do. Uh, you know, he's just latched on there. And so often we just point at people, this is, this is what Satan's doing in my life. This is what he's, this is what he's doing. And you're not, you're not saying this is what God's doing. Paul understood this concept of what God can do versus what the enemy does. He didn't give any glory to the enemy. He simply just shook it off into the fire. But yet so many people, so many believers walk around like this because I talk to them all the time. I've even succumbed to this. Oh, man, the enemy's just having his, I don't know what to do. I guess I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner and God doesn't love me. And that's why the enemy's just having his way. He's latched on. I can't get rid of him. But as a believer, you don't have to allow this to happen. You don't have to let him latch on and grab on and inject his venom into your life. You can simply shake him off. There we go. But how? How do you shake him off? How, how do we shake off the work of the enemy? How did Paul shake off the work of his enemy? Well, Paul lived his life in a certain way that allowed him to overcome every work of the enemy because Paul saw God in everything, not the enemy in everything. And a lot of believers walk around seeing the enemy in everything, but not seeing God in anything. What I mean by that is we always see is what the devil's doing. And we never look and see what God's doing. He's up to something right now, right now. Remember that song we just sang? How many times do we say that? Versus how many times do we say, well, the enemy's up to something right now, something right now. We give glory to God. That passage we just read, Ephesians. The power at work within us. Bringing glory to God in the church and through Christ's generation. We bring glory to God, not the enemy. How do we do that? We keep our eyes focused on God, not the enemy. It's God-focused. It's kingdom-focused versus worldly-focused. It's kingdom-focused versus the enemy-focused. So if you have your Bibles, return to James chapter 4. We're going to dig in, and we're going to learn about how. Because James gives us a great example of how we can overcome the works of the enemy. And I'm just going to warn you, I'm going to step on your toes this morning. Um. And it's, it's a strong message, but it's a message that we need to hear as believers because so often, like I said before, we don't walk in the authority that God has given to us. We don't understand it. We don't move in it. And we don't know how to keep that authority working in our lives. We don't understand the kingdom concept that we have in him. And so James here opens this up to the church and he's saying, because James is kind of those like in your face kind of guys. And he'll tell you how it is and he's not going to sugarcoat it. And James is, is reminding the church here to look, do not be divided. Like you are God's child. You are his. Stop acting like somebody else's kid. Like you are his child. You are bought with a price. Now act like it. And so he gets to James chapter four and he's reminding us how to do this. He, he goes back in verse four. I don't have it up there, but I want to just preface this whole, preface this whole thing like this. We talked about that the other day. You adulterers, verse four. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So he's saying, who are you, who's, where are you at? Like, do you, are you the world? Are you God's? Are you yourself? I'm like, pick a side here. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. God's saying, are you faithful to me? Or are you faithful to something else? Like, where is your loyalty here? That's what he's saying. 
And he gives us grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. This is where we're at right here, verse 7. I'm going to break this down, and we're going to look at it. We're going to open this whole passage up, and we're going to see how we can undo the works of the enemy. Paul very clearly lays it here. He says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Lovely, you know, lovely James, such the encourager. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. So he gives us very specific things we need to do here, and we're going to look at these things. The first thing he says is to humble yourselves before God. Well, what does humble yourself mean? It, it, the word here is, you also look at another translation, it says submit yourself to God. It's, it's to accept or yield to a superior force or the authority or will of another person. So what, it mean, what does it mean to submit to God? It's this, it's submitting your will to God. It's saying, not my will be done, God, but your will be done. It's trusting in the source of that authority. And so often we don't trust in the one that we're submitted to. And we don't surrender to him in the way that we should because we don't think that his ways are best. I mean, we read scripture and we see, oh man, that's, that sounds good, but that's just not, that, that's old school. And, and we don't follow his ways and we don't surrender to his ways, trusting that his ways are best. I want to tell you, God is way more wise than you. I found this out. It took me a while. But God knows a little bit more than I do. And do we trust him? Do we really trust him? It's trusting in the one that you're submitted to and surrender to his ways. And, I don't, and it's, it's, just, it's like this. It's saying, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand how this works. I don't really, it's so counter to what I think is right. But God, because you say so, I'm going to do it. Because you say so, Lord, and I'm trampling the enemy under my feet. Um, and because you say so, I'm going to submit myself to you. And I'm going to do what you want me to do, despite what I think, and despite what the world thinks, and despite what these people think. God, your ways are true. Your ways are right. Your ways are the ways of life. It's trusting in the source of the authority. If you're a soldier, you don't question what the general tells you to do. You just do it because that's your job. Right? You follow orders because orders have been given. As a believer, it's the same thing. You follow the general. You follow the Lord. Is he Lord? Or is he a manager? Is he Lord of your life or is he just a manager that, you know, I, I listen to him, but I don't? He's Lord. If he's truly Lord, then you're going to trust him. And here's what I found when I trust God. The more I trust God, the more I trust God. <laughs> the, the more I step out and say, okay, God, um, I don't understand this. I don't get it, but God, I'm going to do it. And then God comes through. And then I see that he comes through with that. The next time he asks me to do something very strange or weird or out of, out of, you know, out of my comfort zone, I'm like, okay, God, I know you can do something with this. And so I step out in faith. And so submission to God actually builds more faith in our life. So the more I submit to the Lord, the more I'm able to submit and the more God does through me because I'm able to step out in faith. Man, I went up, there's so, been so many times that I missed it because I didn't trust God. Like I felt God telling me to do something and I'm like, I don't know, God, that's really, uh, that's not comfortable. I don't want to go talk to that person. I don't know what to say. I don't, you know, and he's like, go. And I'm like, I don't want to. And I miss it. And not once, I'm telling you guys, not one time have I, obeyed the Lord 
and God not done something miraculous through it. Not one time. Not one time. Because his ways are right. His ways are good. Even though you don't know. The more I submit to him, the more I allow him to work in my life. The very first step into, into undoing the work of the enemy, into shaking off the works of the enemy is submission to the Lord. If you're not submitted to him and to his kingdom and his ways and his authority, if you're not coming up under God and saying, okay, God, you're higher than me. If you're not coming up under him, then how are you protected by him? Because you have to get up under something for it to cover you. And God wants to cover you with his goodness and his mercy and his grace. It's coming up under. That's what submission is. It's coming up under the authority of God. And his authority washes over you. So it's, it's just simply saying, God, I'm not sure, but I'm trusting you. I'm not sure, but I'm trusting you. In the next passage, he goes on. You're going to see a progression here with James. Humble yourselves before the God, before God. Like submit yourself to him totally and completely, saying, God, I'm nothing. You are everything. I, understand. I don't get it, but I'm going to follow you. I mean, think about Peter when he was on the boat. And Jesus, he's like, Jesus tells him, Peter, I want you to cast your net out on the other side. And, and Peter's like, Lord, we've been out here all night. <laughs> it's like our, our nets are clean. But because you say so, because you say so. I'm going to do it. And what happened? Miraculous catch. And that's where we need to get as believers. Like, God, I don't understand this. I don't know. I don't, understand. I don't, I don't get it, but because you say so, I'm going to trust you. It's trusting. It's humility. It's humility. Humility brings anointing. Humility brings anointing. The moment that you lose your humility is the moment that God removes the anointing off of your life. I mean, think about King Saul. The moment he stopped being submitted to God is the moment that he lost his anointing. He said, I fear man. I was afraid what these people thought. And Samuel was like, God's done with you, bro. The moment we take ourselves out of the submission to God is the moment that his anointing leaves. Why? Because you're not under his protection anymore. You decide you know best. We have to stay under that anointing. We have to stay under that humility. And then he goes on. Come close, oh, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee. What is he going to do? Flee from you. Resist the devil. Well, how do we resist him? Go away, devil. We don't want you. No, it's more than that. How do you resist the enemy? Well, think about this. When, when Jesus was tempted in the desert, how did he overcome the enemy? The word of God. Satan came up to him. He was hungry. He's like, hey, man, if you're really the son of God, then make these stones bread. And he's like, if you're really the son of God, then jump off this high place and the angels will come and prove that you are the son of God. If you're really the son of God, surrender to me and I'll give you the kingdoms of, heaven, of the earth. And how did Jesus fight every time? How did he come back at the enemy? With the word of God. Because here's the thing. The enemy will twist the word of God to fit its mold. But the truth of God will always stand firm and stand strong. It's the truth of God that keeps us formed and fitted into his ways. So many of us miss out and so many of us don't understand who we are in God because we don't know the word of God. The word of God is 
what? Sharper than two-edged sword, dividing flesh and marrow. This is God's word. This is everything I need to fight the works of the enemy. We have to get it in here, and we have to get it in here. The word of God is powerful. It's the sword of the spirit, right? We have to know the word. If we don't know the word, then we're just in trouble. We need to memorize things. When, when the enemy comes up and tells you things or tries to tempt you in ways or tries to, to twist your identity, because that's what he does. He tries to twist your identity and, and say, well, no, this is, this is who you are. And, but no, but the word says this. <laughs> the word says, I'm created in God's image. And, and the, the enemy's like, nope, you're not. You're something else. The enemy's always twisting the word, but when we have the word in its truth and its context, we can fully use it to our advantage because God has given it to us as a weapon. But we need to know it. So what are your go-to verses when, like, you're going through things, when you're, you're, you're fighting the enemy and you feel him pressing in on you, or maybe you're doubting things in your life? Do you have those verses that you can go back to? Because I'm telling you, the, the best thing you can do for yourself in those moments when you're facing something hard is to go to the scriptures, find some verses, and speak those things over your life. Well, I don't know how to do that. Go to Google, but be careful, okay? I mean, this is the information age, or the misinformation age. This is the information. I mean, the, everything is at your fingertips. Google some passages about what you're going through and write them down. You know, grab a Bible, open it up, and write it down and see what God does through that. And here's one I want to share with you that really helps me because there's times in my life where, man, I've been tempted and I'm, I'm struggling. And even, you know, in my, in my marriage and my, with my kids, with, with the call of God on my life, the things in my life, this passage right here has centered me in those times. It reminds me of who I am in God because so often we forget who we are. And when we forget who we are, God just, you know, the enemy just has his way with us because he's like, hey. This passage centers me back into that. It's Galatians 2.20, 2, and it says this. It goes, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? That means it's no longer I who live. Like when Christ was up, I see myself on the cross with Jesus. Like I'm dead. My, this old life is dead. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Who's been resurrected? Christ. And now he lives inside of me. And because he lives inside of me, the life I now live in the flesh, that's right now here in this earth, this is the flesh, like my living and breathing, everything that I do in my life, I live by faith in the Son of God. Faith in what? In the Son of God. So when I'm going through hard times in my life and I'm not understanding, I say, God, I'm going in faith. I'm trusting in you because I know, Lord, that you live in me. And I don't need those things because I'm dead to that. I think that's the best thing you can say to yourself when you're tempted by things like, I'm dead to that. I don't need that in my life. I'm dead to that. I'm alive in Christ Jesus. I'm dead in that. I'm dead to that. That, that doesn't bring any joy or fulfill anything in my life. I'm dead to that. I'm alive in Christ Jesus. I live my life in faith for the Son of God who loved me. He loved me. If God loves me, then what's, what's it matter if anybody else doesn't? If the highest power in the universe loves me, then what's it matter if anybody else doesn't? That keeps me going. 
And it gets even more better. I give myself up. He gave himself up for me. He died for me. He gave himself up for me. He took the poison that was meant to kill me. On the cross, every bit of venom that the enemy had was injected into God, into Jesus. The sin, the hatred, everything that we did was placed on that cross. And he took it for us. He bought us at a high price. And so that reminds me that I'm bought with a price, that I am valuable to God. I have value in the kingdom. Do you have one of those verses you can go to? I hope you do. I hope you open your Bible and you read it. Because I'm telling you, if we don't know the word, we don't know God. And if we don't know who we are, and we, more than that, we don't even know who we are in him. And you're like, well, I don't know how to read the Bible. I'm going to show you in three easy steps how to read the Bible. Okay, you got your Bibles? Okay, take it out. Set it down. Step one, set it down. Step two, open it up. Step three, read. That's, let me get, yeah, you slow down one more time, one more time. I didn't put it on the screen, sorry. Yeah. Take it out, set it down, open it up, read. Yeah, well, there's more to that. I understand there's way more to it than just that. Because sometimes you get to things, you're like, what on earth is this? I don't understand this. Like, you know, get to Leviticus, get to Deuteronomy, get to, you know, there's things that we don't understand. I'm, I, you know, I'm telling you, go find it out. Just because you run into something hard in scripture, don't set it down. Don't skip over and go, I'm going back to John. I love John. He talks about love, right? I don't know about the guy killing it. What is this? Go search it out. There's some great resources on their Bible project is amazing. Listen to their stuff. There's great resources out there to help you understand the scriptures. That's why it's so important for us to get involved in, in small groups, in life groups, like our men's group on Mondays at 630, man, we're, we're digging in. The women's group on Wednesday, they're digging into the word. You got to dig into the word. Our small groups are going on. If you haven't joined a small group, join one. Well, how do I do that? Well, there's a, in the foyer out there, they'll tell you how to do that. You know, our youth group, they dig in. They don't just have a good time and party and you know, have games. They do that, but they dig into the Word. Karen's amazing at teaching the kids the Word. Even in kids' church right now, Emily's going back to the basics saying, hey, this is the Bible. <laughs> you know what this is? <laughs> it's God's Word to you. And I'm so excited about the first Wednesday in November at 7 o'clock up here. We're going to be doing a How to Read Your Bible class that Cliff is going to teach. If you don't know Cliff, Cliff is a translator for Wycliffe Bible Translators. Super smart guy. I'm, I'm intimidated when he's here because I say the Greek words all wrong <laughs> and the Hebrew words all wrong. But Cliff's great. And he's like, hey, man, I love to teach that. I've asked him, he's like, can you teach us how to read the Bible? Like the context, how it was written, why it's written, what translations you can trust, all these things. He's going to teach us those things. So come on, man. If you're not, if you're not involved somewhere, come on Wednesday night. Not this Wednesday. But the first Wednesday in November, 7 o'clock, come to that. Get involved. Learn. Dig in. Open the Word of God. Let it speak to you. Because that is your number one. That's your nine iron, okay, to the, <laughs> to the head of Satan. That's your nine iron. It's the sword. It's the nine iron. Whatever works, right? Then, then what's it say? Shut my Bible. So we humble ourselves. We resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Step three, come close to God. Come close to God and he will come close to you. What is that? That's getting in the presence of God. You get in the presence of God, you spend time with God? Or do you just like, oh, God, I'll, I'll get to you when I can. I'll read my little devotion in the morning and that's it. I mean, that's great. I mean, I'm not hating on you for that. That's good. But if Sunday morning is the only time you meet with God, you're missing out. I mean, if, if I only did that with my wife, it's like, hey, I'm going to meet you once a week. It's not going to be good. I know sometimes it feels like that, right? <laughs> Hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you in like a week. You have to make time for people. Love, time is love. If you really love somebody, you're going to take time for them. If, if, you're really, if you really love somebody, you're going to take the time it takes to get to know them and to engage with them. Do you take time for God? Do you really come close to him? I love this passage. It says, come close to God and he will come close to you. Here's what it looks like. My wife's here so I can do this. You're here. God's here. It's this. It's like when we're dating. <laughs> hey, God, how are you? But he's going to come close. She's not. So she's like, I'm kind of awkward right now. But he's going to come close to you. Because here's the thing. God's not gone anywhere. God didn't move. We didn't. It's coming close. It's, it's, God, let me come into your presence. How do you do that? Through prayer, through worship, through time spent with them? And it's, it's, the, it's the heart motive that helps us meet with God. It's us coming into his presence with full, our hearts full of him, wanting him. And here's what it's not. It's not opening our Bible, putting a, a coffee cup there, getting our phones out, and like trying to take the perfect picture, and then posting on social media. Love my time with the Lord. Send it out. It's saying, God, no, I love my time with the Lord. Do you spend time with him? I don't, I don't care if it's 10 minutes. If you're not doing anything around, 10 minutes is great. First thing when you wake up, before you go to bed, whatever it takes, get into his presence. Learn to be in his presence. And the enemy cannot get his way with you because you'll become more God-focused in that moment because all your attention, all your affection, all, everything in your heart is centered towards God and the enemy can do all he wants, but you're not going to pay attention to it. You're going to be like, Paul, get off me. Get in the presence of God. That's what matters the most. And he goes on. Last step. Wash your hands, sinners. <laughs> Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. What's he saying there? What, what do you mean, wash your hands? Like, do you really? I mean, this was used during the pandemic. You know, it's like, wash your hands, you sinners. No, what's this passage mean? It's, it's a verse of consecration. And if you're not sure what that word is, it's, it's like getting ready. Get ready to, to, to serve God. He's like, man, James is saying, look, believer, you've been created for a purpose. You've been saved for a purpose here. Stop being divided between the world and God's like, you're a kingdom person. Walk in kingdom authority and do what God, the kingdom does. He's like, you are a soldier for God. Walk that out. Take back the territory. He's saying, you got to get ready. You got to get dressed. A good soldier doesn't walk out there in his skivvies, right? He puts on clothes. He armors up. He gets ready to go. 
And so many believers would just nonchalantly go into the presence of God without even thinking about it. I'm not saying you got to dress a certain way to come. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about holiness movement. I'm talking about being holy, being pure, being set apart. That's what this verse is saying. James is saying, be set apart. Get yourself ready for God. Like really come into his presence with pure motives and a pure heart. Wash your hands. The priests would wash their hands before they served God. Before they did any sacrifices, they would cleanse themselves. They would put on garments. They would wash themselves again, put on more garments. They would get ready to serve God in that moment. And, and believer, you need to get ready to serve God. That's what he's saying. It's like, how do you undo the work of the enemy? If you're not, like you're on the offense, believer. You're not on the defense here. You gotta be ready to take out the works of the enemy. And that only comes when we're set apart and we're consecrated. And we're ready to serve. And we're ready to do. But so often we don't understand that we're set apart. I didn't know this. Man, when I was first saved, I didn't know I was set apart. I just thought I was saved. Saved's great. But I didn't know I was set apart. I didn't know that I was holy. I didn't know that God wanted to use me. I know that God did something in me. But when I discovered that I was set apart, like, here's everything in the world. God, like, picked me up, put me here, and said, nope. I'm setting you here so you can go back in and change it. We're set apart. We're holy. We're not common. We're uncommon. We're set apart. Do you live set apart? Do you set your life apart for God? Well, what's that look like in my life? It's, it's living for him. It comes back to submission. It's setting yourself. It's, it's being different from what the world wants. He said, man, are you, are you aligned with the world? Or are you aligned with me? Who are you loyal to here? Are you going to take me serious? Or are you just going to do whatever you want? You're going to worship me the way you want to and expect me to bless that. Here's what it looks like. And these are some, you may think this is a dream. I have a, uh, there was a, a kid I met a few months ago. I was a kid. He's like 20. <laughs> but he's getting married. He's been dating this girl for two years. And we're just, I was talking to him. He's like, yeah, man, I'm dating her for two years. And it's like, I can't wait for my wedding day. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And it's like, man, it's like, I haven't kissed her. It's like, really? It's like, yeah, we haven't kissed. We've been dating two years. I ain't kissed. I'm like, man, that's, that's strange. But no, it's set apart. It's not strange. It's, it's set apart. It's, it's being holy. It's, it's that conviction that him and his wife had to honor the Lord in their relationship that way. And to the world, that looks extreme, and that looks ridiculous, and that looks legalistic. But to them, that looked like serving God. To them, it was beautiful. And I told Joe, I was like, man, when y'all get married, you got to send me that picture. He sent it to all the guys. And we're like, man, that's awesome. It's beautiful. What a beautiful moment. It's setting yourself apart. It's understanding who you are in God. It's setting yourself apart. This world doesn't understand that. It's like people battling with same-sex attraction. And they say, you know what? Instead of doing this, I'm going to be celibate. I mean, this is extreme. I'm going to be celibate. And I'm going to serve God with my whole life. And that's extreme. But no, really, it's just being set apart. It's saying, no, I'm choosing God over all these other things. And, and we have to do that as a believer. If, you, if you're not setting yourself apart, how are you going to be used? And I'm not saying you've got to be perfect. Because God can use imperfect things. 
use me. <laughs> he uses you. We're all imperfect. He, he's not wanting perfect. He's just wanting available. That's all he wants. Are you available? And that's what this verse is saying. Is like James is saying, be available, people, for God to use you in a certain way. Be available. Like cleanse your hands. Like get dressed for work. Get ready for God to use you. Do you wake up in the morning and go, okay, God, how are you going to use me today? Or do you wake up every day and say, man, the enemy's really beating me up. You should wake up and get ready. Get ready. God's going to use you. And if you're not ready, how are you going to be used? You've got to be ready in a moment for God to use you. Are you set apart? That's how you undo the works of the enemy. The progression. The progression is do these things and the enemy can't touch you because you are completely surrendered and submitted to the authority of King Jesus. And his protection is over you, and he has you in his hand. That's the beauty of Jesus. That's the beauty of being a king in the kingdom. Because when you're saved, you're brought into the kingdom. His spirit comes in you, and you are filled with this power to undo the works of the enemy. It's his power at work within us to do what? Exceedingly abundantly. You know, as a believer, we think way too small. We believe God for very small things. And we don't believe God for the big things. The word says exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine or think. Those things. That's what God wants to do through us. So we humble ourselves, we resist the enemy, we come close to God, we get in his presence, we wash our hands, we get ready, and we say, okay, God, I'm loyal to you and you alone. And then watch what happens. And then, and then remember the rest of the passage? Paul gets bit, the snake's on him, he shakes it off, and what do the people do? Because I'm telling you, when you start living like this, this is what people are going to do. When you really submit your life to Christ, this is what people are going to do. When something bad happens in your life, they'll be like, ha, ha, you did something. You can't be that good. The enemy's, hmm, I knew it. You're a sinner. You're always going to be a sinner. And you did something bad. That's why this thing's happening to you. No, you live in a world full of sin. You live in a world that's falling apart. You're going to be, you know, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And, and sometimes the world gets on you. And you can't do anything about that, but, you, I mean, you can. You just shake it off, say, okay, God, whatever you want, your will. You're, I'm submitted to you, whatever you want to do. But the enemy will always judge you, and people will always judge you. The spectators <laughs> will always judge you, and they'll always see you, and they'll always wonder why. And when you're living that way, they're going to wait for you to fall. Because people, they love an underdog, but they love it when somebody falls just as much. And they're waiting for you. They're watching. And they're like, ah, see? Oh, you didn't die? Hmm. Maybe there is something to this. They're fickle. <laughs> people are fickle. Don't let people determine your destiny. Don't listen to them. They're always going to try and bring you down to their level. And God's saying, I want to bring you up. But you have to humble yourself. And let him bring you up. That's what God wants to do. 
If I can get the worship team to come up, I want to close this way this morning. If you can stand, everybody. Father, thank you for this message, God. I know it's, it's a hard message, but it's good. Lord, I pray that we understand the authority that you've given to us to undo the work of the enemy. God, that we are above it. Lord, that your word says we'll even judge the angels. God, that you have called us to be a people submitted and completely under your authority that you've given us the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. God, that you've given us the authority to heal the sick, to cast out demons, God, and to proclaim the gospel. God, I pray that you would send us out in that way. God, that we would understand who we are in you, God, that we would live up to our name, Christian, that we would be Christ ones, a bunch of little Jesuses running around, God, spreading the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that you would just bring us up into that place. God, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for who you are. God, I pray right now, God, that you would show us your mercy and your grace. And Lord, I thank you for your son that you gave for us, that died for us, that gave his place for us, Lord, that he was up on the cross, even though I deserve to be up on the cross, that he died for me, that I may live. And the, and the life I live now, Lord, I live in this flesh. Lord, I live for him. Lord, let us live for him. Keep us, God, safe in your keeping. Lord, I love you. I thank you. God, we love you in this moment. We thank you for this moment. God, you're so good.